one day I mean I don't even want to say something like that I mean it's it's fun to, to watch on TV and, and to, to speculate about and imagine but can you imagine how catastrophic an actual zombie virus would be to human society <laughs> well what's that mushroom there's that zombie mushroom you know what oh, I'm talking um, about? yeah I know exactly what you're talking about it sprouts out the top of ants heads after yeah. after it takes over their body and makes them climb all the way up the to the top of the tree mm-hmm. uh, it's a uh, it is a cordyceps. I was going to say a cordyceps. Ophiocordyceps. Huh. Ophiocordyceps unilateris, for those of you who wanted to know that, which would be all zero of you. I was going to say, pretty much you wanted to know that. The rest of us just call it zombie mushroom. Even though technically, I guess it's not really a mushroom. It's a fungus. Yeah, that's 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 just crazy to think about. Something as invasive as that just completely taking over your... Your, your consciousness and making you do things. It's crazy, but also it's not that crazy when you think about how many people are hammered drunk <laughs> and nobody's home. Like nobody's there, but somebody's controlling that body. Yeah, it's weird. And it's, it's an interesting phenomenon too to think about, you know, how your body protects you from even the memory of that. Like, you know, being blackout drunk, for example, um, like not you just not remembering anything that you did within the, that a specific span of time in which you were intoxicated past a certain point. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the natural mechanism for that is. <laughs> like what if we were in nature, you know, we were there was no civilization and we were just these hairy apes walking around. You know, what do we what 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 type of thing do we need to forget? And I think it's just literally all it is is it's taking us back to pre-language. I don't. I don't know that um, animals without language, and I say that because I do believe that s- certain birds and and dolphins actually have language. Um, but I'm not positive that they have memories like that. That maybe they just always forget things and they just remember um, important sensory things. Like that's hot. That's where the tiger lives. I forget. There's. I've been watching a lot of Attenborough lately, um, just because you know that's what one does. Um, <laughs> And there's one particular one where one dolphin out of a pod of dolphins is taught a certain sequence of, of I don't remember exactly what it was. I didn't, I didn't see it. My parents saw it and we were talking about it over dinner. Um, but one specific dolphin was taught a sequence of, of movements and it went back to the pod and via a series of hisses and clicks taught the rest of the pod the movements without actually showing them. Yeah, they've they've also figured out that they have names. Yeah, that's weird. That's super weird to me. Well, I don't I don't think that we can really classify them in the same place that we classify other animals. There's just so much evidence that they're they're sentient. Yeah, and they're also assholes too, which is which is which also further proves that they're sentient. Which is you know they're also horny, uh, really horny. Yeah, very horny. Yeah, so chimpanzees. <laughs> I feel like have we talked about how uh, these women? There's a couple women trainers that basically got raped by dolphins. No, I feel what? like we've talked about that before. I feel they like we, we. I feel like we've physically spoken about it outside of the podcast. But. I mean, they didn't get technically, you know, penetrated or whatever. But the dolphin was definitely getting rapey. 
Wow. There's video of it too. If you guys crazy, want to have a weird adventure, go onto YouTube and type in. Uh... <laughs> I don't want to say don't do it. it. I don't want to do it. it. Don't do it. Type in dolphin rape. Uh, we are not titling the episode that. <laughs> oh man. Oh, what a we're, only, start. we're only like we're uh, only two minutes in. Holy shit. Maybe we'll just cut everything and start there. <laughs> uh, just start with the, the us chuckling at dolphin rape. Oh Lord. my god. Maybe frisky dolphin. How's that? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I will say though, speaking of viruses, like I really, really want a puppy. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I've spent I've spent I've spent basically my entire life with a dog until recently. Like the last couple of years I haven't had a dog and holy crap, man, it makes a big difference. The only thing the only hard part for me so far has been that um he's like really attached and he's which I love. I hate dogs that don't want anything to do with you. Like what's the point? Sure. <laughs> You're like, what are we just roommates? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey man, how's it going? It's like I thought we were in a relationship here. Um <laughs> <laughs> We're having some weird animal conversations, <laughs> but uh, I, I, he's really attached, and I take him out in public, and I have to keep an eye on him because like, he could snap at people. Um, and then I haven't tried to leave him home alone yet, and I'm not sure what he'll do. So so far, I've had to like find ways to do everything with the dog. Like I went grocery shopping yesterday, not like a full grocery shopping, but you know, like pick up a few items with the dog in the shopping cart. I was that guy or that person. I assume the dog did well. Yeah, he was more nervous than anything. He's like, oh, interesting. Well, you know, you're like standing on. Well, you're not. He is. His little feet, his little paws, and there's that wire. You know, there's no solid surface there, and then it's an object that he's in that's moving that he doesn't have control over. Yeah, I remember when I used to bring my dog to the supermarket. I used to carry a towel in my car with me at all times and I would just put him in the, the cart with a towel. That's funny. Mike McGee was with me in the grocery store and he's like, you should start carrying a towel. Uh, <laughs> uh, McGee. So he's, he's obviously um, been in that situation before. I, I feel like that's, that's the fun thing though is too. There's, so I was making a joke about this the other day and I didn't just make the roommate joke, but you know, like when, when people say that a relationship has got serious, you're like, Oh, she's got a toothbrush and she's got her own drawer. You know, like things are getting serious. Well, the the dog has his own drawer and he has a toothbrush. Oh, man. <laughs> so he's he's officially moved in. Um, yep, he's moved in. Yep, it's done. But I feel like now with the towel and then I bring a little collapsible bowl and I bring a bottle of water and I, all of these things. I'm like, I used to have a backpack full of stuff for writing. Now I just have stuff for cleaning dog shit and <laughs> and putting it back in him. <laughs> oh man, sounds about right. So you you have like a basically a shit producing factory with you at all times. Yeah, but I did um I was talking to one of the ladies that works at the Starbucks I go to and she's like, "Oh, I used to be a dog walker cuz he has it's kind of hard to explain, but the dog has isn't um this backpack. It's it's a harness, but it has um like a handle on the back, so if you ever need to like grab him and pull him back, it's got a little handle there. And then it also has um a little pocket where you can put in the roll of, um, I don't know what the heck they're called, dog shit bags. <laughs> I, don't know what <laughs> I don't know what else you call them. Uh, you put the little roll in there and it has like a little dispenser. So you, he's got it on his back and you just pull it off of him. So he carries his oh, own bags. Man. So she was, huh. she's like, oh, that's a really good idea. I used to walk dogs 
Um, she's like, and I couldn't stand the smell. So she she's like, so I would tie the, <laughs> she would walk multiple dogs. And when they, when they shit, she would take their bag and she would tie it to them and make them carry their own shit. Oh man. <laughs> so I've started doing that. And like, it's easier to do with this little backpack thing. Cause I can not handle, I can put it on the handle. So it's like, it's not near his face either, but he looks like a little burrow. You know, like we're going down down the Grand Canyon or something, and he's carrying supplies. <laughs> where's the Where's the weirdest place you've taken him so far? Uh, not many. I don't really go that many places, but uh, to the bathroom <laughs> is that weird? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, given given your regularity of stops, um, has he has he gotten used to the people at those stops, and have those people gotten used to him yet? No, I mean, I've only been taking him out in public for like a week. I stayed home with him for like the first week or two weeks. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I'm oh, taking him into a store is always interesting. I don't know. There's something like taking him to the dog store, you know, like a Petco or something. That's pretty normal. Other people are doing it. Uh, you just have to make sure he's not going to get in a fight or whatever. But the grocery store was weird too. You know, just like I was thinking about it and I'm like, nobody's objecting. Nobody's looking at me weird that I have this dog in shopping cart. Then I was thinking about it. I'm like, I have a dog's ass in a place that people put food and nobody's bothered by that. Yeah, I suppose you never really think about that. Now I am going to think about that. But I mean, then I thought about it more and I'm like, but the shopping carts go outside and birds shit on them and you know it rains on them and we don't think about anything that happens to shopping carts before we put our food yeah, in them. I legitimately think that most of us spend too much time worrying about crap like that. I mean, I know yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a different perspective, but like... You know, I've I've traveled to you know, backwoods China, um, Vietnam, various places in Europe, um, and you just you just learn to deal. Like you just eat things off the floor. You like you, you can't deal with sanitation the same way. Like in the U.S., we're we're surprisingly clean about things. And despite the fact that people are still germaphobes and all that kind of stuff, like just just go li- travel through Europe and live in hostels for like a month and see how much you care about that by the end of it. <laughs> well, I think we're we're over clean. You know, like we have oh absolutely we have. The um, deficiencies in our diet because of certain things, you know, like we wash all of our fruit and all of our vegetables or whatever, which is good because you don't want to get E. coli and all of these things. But because of that, we're also not getting all of the probiotics that we get from dirt that we've gotten for all of evolution. That's why people have to take probiotics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a good example of that. And I, you know, all things considered, I think I eat better than most people and I still have to do that. There was, um, I've been reading, slowly reading my way through, excuse me, slowly reading my way through Tribe of Mentors, the Tim Ferriss book, which is just kind of, he asks, I think it's like uh, 10 questions or so of like 100 people. So you just see different answers for the same things. And and one of them, somebody, it's you know, he always has that purchase question about, it was a thing for that you bought that was under $100 that provided the most value recently. And somebody brought up this thing called Mother Dirt. And it's literally, it's like a face wash that, um, actually, let me, instead of trying to describe something I know nothing about, it's a, it's a probiotic face wash. So it's basically, it, it replicates putting dirt on your face um, in the nutrient <laughs> way. It, it doesn't dirty your face, obviously, but it puts all the other stuff, the, the healthy oxidizing bacterias back in your skin. And this person was saying I had huge like acne problems or whatever. Turns out it was just from soap and all this other stuff that we put on our faces. So I started using this stuff and it's gone. My skin is clear. I mean, 
there's there's a lot of there's a lot of science that that says that antibacterial soap is actually really bad for you. Oh, of course, because it kills the good bacteria. Yeah, it kills literally everything. It's like and napalm. Also, I mean, I know a lot of people, um, including Crystal, who have had incredibly damaging reactions from antibiotics. Well, some people have immune, like it, it fucks with their immune system because it, yeah. it destroys yeah. it. Um, shoot, what was I listening to? Somebody else was talking about this recently too, about, well, I can't remember. It was, it was on, I think it was on an episode of Rogan today, but they were talking about something similar to this. Um, doesn't matter. But it's definitely, I think we're at the point with science where we're kind of, it's kind of funny at the same time, but we're kind of figuring this stuff out, but it's kind of funny because it's like, or we're spending all this money to figure out stuff that we already knew before, <laughs> you know, like eat, eat food like this. And just because we stopped eating food like that, now we have to like learn how to replicate that back into our diet. Well, the difficult thing too is that there's there's a certain trendiness to diet to to diet and nutrition, and I feel like that's that's fairly detrimental in the long run because we we have a tendency to try to reinvent nutrition every so often in order to match our whatever our our, our social need is at the time, and I think that that obviously we go too far in one direction or another and it doesn't it doesn't help us. Um, but you know, I, I, it's 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 tough though because there's some logic to that. Like you think about some of the diets, like the keto diet or intermittent fasting or whatever it is, and there's there's a clear there's a clear science that dictates how and why those things are good. Um, but it makes me wonder if the science itself, considering how often it's revised, how 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 solid the science is on a lot of these things. Well, I think the problem is, and this actually came up in the I can't remember the guy he was talking to but I will put a link for it in the show notes. Um, but this guy was talking about, or him and Joe, we're both talking about, the problem is, is that, you know, there's all these diets and all these things, but there is no universal diet. There is no human diet. There's, sure. you know, like we all grew up in different regions of the world. We all have different genetics and each of us is a different individual. So what, you know, like one person has an allergy, the other person doesn't. We understand that. But take that to the whole diet. You know, like what food is good for one person might not be good for another person. You know, there are yeah, some that's definitely yeah, and that's definitely true, not just in, in the in the sense of um allergic reactions, but definitely in how our bodies know how to process those particular things too. Right. That's what I mean. Like if you if we understand that that that, that happens with allergies, you know, like he can be allergic to peanuts and I can't. You know, that's that makes sense to us. But we don't think about that same individuality of the body when it comes to everything else. You know, like I can eat kale and it makes me healthy. It gives him diarrhea. Yeah, and even even beyond that point, it's there. There are moments where it's even more subtle than that, right? Like in mm -hmm. in, in circumstances like uh, like I know most people can eat rice, but I know that my body processes it pro probably processes it much better than most, um, just because you know I come from a long lineage of people who have eaten rice, right? Like technically, my body should be really good at pasta. Unfortunately, it isn't. <laughs> Um, it just makes me fat. And then now, actually, I just experienced this tonight because I had like half of this like steak sandwich. So I had bread and then I had literally just like maybe a palm full of this macaroni and cheese and those carbohydrates. It just, it literally shot my heart rate up like 25 beats just to Jeez. digest that stuff, you know, between the sugar, you know, everybody's heart rate goes up a little bit when they're digesting, especially like a heavier meal. 
So you get like sure. 10 for that, but then 10 for the sugar. So I'm like, starting this, when we started, I took off my shirt because I was sweaty. <laughs> it's just literally from oh, that little bit of carbohydrate. But you know wow, what, what really? I tend to do with these diets is, and I, I, I would suggest this for most people, just as a measuring stick. Think about the fact, or just think about humans before agriculture. You know, before we were building houses, before all this stuff. Just think about quote unquote wild humans. And then you look at the diet and you go, does that make sense for this creature that would be walking around doing this? And if it doesn't make sense, then it's probably bullshit because our bodies haven't evolved that far beyond that stage of evolution. That's why some of the paleo stuff makes total sense. You know, like, why, oh, bread and gluten. Yeah, of course they fuck with you because our body isn't really designed to digest it. Some of us can't. But we know that, for the most part, it's probably difficult for people. Yeah, part of the tough part, too, on that is is that the modern food industry has has made us so horribly addicted to certain things that the body isn't supposed to have, necessarily. Um, And I feel like that we're messing with our own evolution that way um, when it comes to what our bodies can process and how. Like, I really don't need Cheez-Its, man, but Cheez-Its are delicious. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you know why everything has sugar in it, right? Because oh, sugar is the most addictive narcotic on the face of planet Earth. That's actually the secondary reason. The initial reason was because it started with the low-fat trend. They, when they started taking fat out of all the food, everything started tasting like shit. So they started putting sugar in everything. So that people would buy it because they didn't want to buy bland stuff. That's horrifying. And and now we we know how good fat is for things like cognition and brain activity. And we're trying to put fat back into things again. And the problem is a lot of this, you know, like I we're in a very good time right now, I think, when it comes to health and nutrition. You know, there's a lot of confusing and like stuff we don't understand and conflicting stuff. But we're at a stage where there are people, independent human beings, studying stuff like this that aren't paid for by pharmaceutical companies or isn't paid for by food companies, which is the way it was before. So you either had, you know, like Johnson and Johnson or like Pfizer or something like that. One of these big conglomerate uh, pharmaceutical companies paying for research that said, this is good and that's bad because we want to give you this drug. Or you had these food companies going, yes, uh, you know, uh, carbohydrates are a healthy part of a, a daily diet by our cereal. Sure. And now we know, like, we know for a fact that there's actually no daily requirement of carbohydrates. You don't have to have carbs to live. And actually, going too far with carbs introduces a whole bunch of potential health risks. Oh, of course, because it's sugar, once again. Yeah, just literally pure sugar, yeah. And there's all this confusing stuff too that a lot of us, you know, like even like I listen to all these shows where these things come up and I'm still not understanding all of it. You know, like, the, okay, your brain needs sugar. But if you don't have sugar, then your brain stops making sugar and it starts making ketones. But how long can you do this? And, you know, there's all these questions. And that's why it's confusing. But I feel like in the next 15, 20 years, we're going to have a general idea. You know, like like we were talking about earlier, you know, everybody has their own diets and things like that that are going to be good for them as an individual but will understand general things like you need to have this much omega-3 and we'll have it down to an actual number and i think that's that's going to be really really helpful as long as we keep those two kinds of people out of the equation 
and we keep it to individual researchers and then we test and retest and prove and reprove. I would love, I would literally love to never have to think about food ever again. How much would you love to go to a store, buy a book and it says, you know, here, there's a little chart. Here's my, here's my ethnicity. Here's my age. Um, here's the region of the world that I live in. Boom. And it goes, here's your diet. These are the foods you should eat. These are the foods you shouldn't eat. The end. Man, it makes me think back to my days in school, though, and how horribly unhealthy my lunches were from the school. <laughs> the school lunches were shit. These are still shit. They're worse now, actually, from what I've heard. Granted, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, 41 years machines. old. I don't know. Well, there's, <laughs> there's vending machines where you can go buy chocolate bars and stuff now. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really have that stuff back then. I was when I was going to school. So now you can literally buy like Mountain Dew out of a, you know. Well, they're the ones paying a for it. Machine. People don't understand, don't know this, but like a lot of the school lunches are paid for by food companies. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, like the the school's taking the uh, the profit, of course, which is fine. You know, you want to you want to support the school. That's a good thing, and they are giving your kids food when you're not there. But you know, like uh, I'm I don't know exactly which companies, but I'm gonna throw some out. I know that I, I'm pretty sure Pizza Hut was one that was providing yeah, food. And we're not like they're writing the menus. <laughs> Do you really want Pizza Hut writing your child's menu? I don't Heck, think dude, so. I don't. I, I don't want. Pizza, I feel guilty when I eat Pizza Hut like once a month. You know, I'm not even guilty, but like I, I, I don't. I don't feel good. I mean, it's delicious. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm not on any particular food for its, 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 its deliciousness. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that that's. There's no way that that can be. A real Diane's ballot or Diane's ballot. That's the name of the episode. Oh no, <laughs> brain is brain is sluggish today, man. I've been fighting all day. You know what? The science that I want, Lamb. I want the science that makes that kale salad that I try. I don't hate it. I, I enjoy it, but I want the, the science that makes that kale salad make my my body tingle the same way that a really shitty piece of pizza does. Oh man, pizza. <laughs> I could eat some pizza right now. Pizza is so good. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody, like why, everybody's I, going, why do we tune into this? They're just saying shit we already know. Yeah, pizza's well, good. Whatever, guys. Yeah, but I mean, the, it, there's the, the secondary aspect of that, right? Like, I mean, there's certain foods that, that we thought were bad for us, which are now good for us, and we're starting to discover certain things. And, and I think in the long run, a lot of this is just about moderation. I mean, you know, pure animal fats can be good for cognition, and it's been shown to... to to help with growth in your brain. But I mean, of course, too much of it can kill you. <laughs> yeah, you definitely like, need collagen. If you're not getting collagen, you're in trouble. And so I think most of this, you know, ultimately when we have the final conversation about diet, which I don't think we ever will, a lot of it's going to come down to just balance. You know, just understanding what the the, 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 the levels are at which we need to eat to have certain things in our diet. Because I'm sure, you know, we need sugar. I'm sure we need any number of other you know, vitamins and, and minerals in order to, to survive as, as humans, but it's all in moderation, you know? I mean, there are, and there are those foods out there that are like, this is really good for you and it's delicious. Like avocados, come on. Those are like the, one of the best things you can eat and they're amazing. I could eat them yeah, every day. I literally love, yeah, I could eat the heck. I mean, I honestly, to, though, actually. I, the, the method by which I eat it matters a lot. I just mm. really dig guacamole. I love guacamole. Guacamole is great, except it takes so much effort. And by that time, I'm like, I could eat and do with these fuckers. <laughs> I, I can totally make guacamole every time. And, well, I think part of it too is that I really, really like tortilla chips. <laughs> well, when I, oh, so you're making the healthy unhealthy. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, why not why not just pour like two gallons of dressing on any salad? <laughs> well, you know what's funny, that salad dressing thing is not actually a bad idea. That's actually really healthy for you. Sure, sure, sure. Because without but, people don't understand this, I just learned a few this years myself. Ago, it wasn't good for you. Like a few years ago it wasn't good for you. No, yeah. And they <laughs> wanted you to eat that low fat shit that was like cum and water mixed together. Um, oh, geez. that is such a horrifying I, I, can, I don't know what that tastes like but I can imagine what that tastes I don't like. want to know what that tastes like. I know what the salad dressing tastes like but terrifying uh, yeah but um, but I just learned this recently that the reason that you get salad dressing with salad is because certain parts of certain vegetables your, your body doesn't digest the nutrient without their, their fat soluble instead of water soluble so if you don't oh, have sure. fat with it your body literally can't do anything with it so it just shits it out and that Chad, we, we're talking about food, man. That's okay. Um, you know, <laughs> we've been talking for twenty minutes about food. You know, in my backyard when I was growing up, we had because um, this house that I live in right now, this was my grandparents' house. My grandfather had, I think, at one point he had three, but I definitely remember two avocado trees. So we oh, never wow. had to pay for them. So we definitely ate a lot of them, and we would just literally we would just take them and you cut them in half. And then squeeze lemon and salt, pepper. Done. Get a spoon. Oh, Go to that's, town. That's fancy. That's so fancy. That's so fancy, but it's so savage. <laughs> like I don't need a yeah, bowl. Totally. I don't need anything. I used to have a yeah. My aunt's house used to have a fig tree. I used to eat figs. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah, my grandfather's ranch was uh, uh, almond and fig trees. Nice. So we used to get a lot of those. The black figs were my favorite. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, very, very all, they get all gooey and like honey inside. Anybody hungry? You know, I have the most prolific persimmon tree in the history of mankind. Mm, hook it and up. Like, I will give you pounds of them. And the reason why, I hate persimmons. Do you have the you have the gooey persimmon or the apple persimmons? The gooey ones. I, it's, I hate that. I can't deal with that texture, man. It freaks me out. You don't like the booger texture, huh? No, I don't. <laughs> there are certain foods like, like, dude, I can't eat eggplants either. It's, it's I've disgusting. I've never been a texture person. It's no text, you know, like bananas, people, texture freaks them out. I'm fine. Mushrooms, fine. Uh, persimmons, you know, what are the other texture foods? I can do them all. Pate, I'm good. You know, it took me a while to even get into uh, mashed potatoes. I didn't start liking mashed potatoes until I was in my 30s just because the, the texture got to me, that gooey chalkiness I just couldn't deal with. Wow. All right, let's leave Foodland before we okay, chew off one of our fingers. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> and for the two of you who have remained. <laughs> um, hey, the, so I watched Willow. I, I rewatched Willow. It was, dude, it, can you believe it took that long to get on iTunes? I'm actually really shocked at that. I'm really shocked there at that. There had to be some kind of legal bullshit going on. Oh, of course. That's, invariably, there always is. And that movie is incredible. I, I, I actually loved it. I haven't seen it since it came out. Really? Yeah. So it was my first I, time I, seeing it in like 30 years. <laughs> It used to be on like TBS or something like that every once in a while. So I used to watch it like midday, you know, when you get home from school, it's like halfway through. For a movie that's literally ripping off a bunch of other movies, it's really good. I mean, it's like, huh. it's like Mos- the story of Moses mixed with Lord of the Rings, mixed with the Odyssey. And it's, it's, it's great. I think it's great. It's a solid film. And they accomplished more in that short, it was like, it was like an hour and 40 minutes. Maybe it's two hours long. They accomplished more story-wise in a more compact package than Lord of the Rings did in like six films. Lord of the Rings is a bad example. I, oh man, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. Um, I actually didn't like the movies that much. I enjoyed them, but I... Yeah, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this too. I didn't enjoy them enough to like 
rewatch them over and over again. I can watch yeah. parts, but then I'm like, oh, okay, this is dragging and I'll turn it off. It's just too much. Well, it's one of those one of those objectivity kind of things, right? Like if you really define a narrative, um, and I think a lot of it is just as writers, you and I think you and I probably think about pacing more than than most normal people. Um and that movie is just horribly paced. And I mean, that's, this is not to say that the spectacle wasn't spectacular. Um, you know, I've, of course, I really dug the elves. I love the magic. I mean, I love the orcs and the urukai and all that kind of stuff. And it was all really cool. I mean, I'd read all the books. So for me, it, but, I, you know, I've, I've said this on the show many times before. I'm not a guy who is strictly attached to source material. Right. Um, so I understand the changes that they made in order to, to make the narrative make more sense. Well, thank God. But I just... I just thought it was really badly paced. I don't know. All three of them, too. I mean, I, the second one was actually my favorite one, which it, it's too. the curse of Return of the Jedi. Or, I'm sorry, um, Empire. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, right? The second movie is always the best one. Well, um, it, but yeah. The thing is, the, the pacing, yeah, the pacing sucks, but compared to the source material, the pacing is amazing because well, yeah, it jumps I mean, between the, we talked about this before, it jumps between character storylines. Whereas in the book, literally, you just, you read, all about one character from beginning to end, and then it moves on to the next one, and then the next one. It doesn't jump back and forth, and that gets really boring. Yeah, that's a good point. But Tolkien for some odd reason, I, I can I, I can forgive it from Tolkien's perspective just because he he built such elaborate worlds, and it was and a so book. From, yeah, and it was a book, so I could jump I could jump back and forth in the narrative on my own. Um, but no, I agree with you. I'm not saying that that, that Tolkien was fantastic um, in his 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 narrative his narrative pacing anyway. But from that perspective, I can forgive it more because in literary form, it's a little bit easier to get lost in a particular um, in a particular like you know when they go to Rivendell, for example. You know, you can get lost in that environment. You see, you, there's so much lore and history right. and characters that are being developed that that becomes the book for however many 120 pages um, that they spend in Rivendell. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, well, the problem I, with Peter Jackson, I think maybe, I'm just going to guess, put myself in his shoes, maybe he had the kill your darlings problem where he spent so much money and so much creative energy creating these worlds that it was hard to cut stuff. Where he's like, yeah, makes sense. this yeah, lags definitely. a little bit here, but fuck, it's so good. I mean, look at those extended versions. Somebody's oh, like, geez. oh, you want to watch the extended version? And I was like, never. Good God, no! And by the way, I, by the way, I ended up doing that at some point um, over a three-day span. I watched one of each of the extended versions. Holy crap! Did they have director commentary on that crap too? Um, they did. I never listened to them. Oh, I think I missed I had that, the though. DVDs. Actually, I actually still have the DVDs. Um, I have one. I have the second one. Yeah, it's it's exhausting, man. Like, and and you know, don't get me wrong. I I forget where. It might have been a Sam Harris podcast, but they were talking about how in, in the modern era of cinema, there's definitely a drive towards making a blockbuster story with a conclusion um, and not leaving open-ended stories. Right. And I think that, that, that there's definitely too much of a wrap-up um, when it comes to how the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies are. Like in the books, there, there's definitely much more lingering strife and horror and difficulty. Like, you know, the worlds have to recover from these massive wars. And that's so, so that last movie. That. Like, what is it? Like uh, the last half hour, you're like, triumph. Tri- yeah. Tri- uh, triumph. It was, and it, it was so much. It was so much. <laughs> and it just keeps going. You're like, and we're marching and we're still marching. And when and this happened and this is awesome. And you're like, yeah, okay. 
uh, marriage and Hobbit love. And I mean, just, uh, I could not do it. It was just and too then much, they gave man. All of those Oscars to it, which I understand why they did. Technically, they were giving Oscars to all three films. Totally deserved. But at the same time, you're like, this was the weakest of the three. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Now that we've shit on that, by the way, uh, you know War- Warwick Davis, the main guy from um, Willow, who plays Willow? War- Warwick Davis, yeah. Warwick. I looked it Is up. Is it Warwick? Yep. Um, yes, I do know Warwick, Warwick Davis. You know he's in the Harry Potter films, right? Yeah, he's a... Uh, Flipwit or something? Flip- yeah, something like that. Flip yeah. dick. <laughs> <laughs> he also did an incredible series... Um, so Ricky Gervais uh, a while ago did this this um, podcast and it eventually became like a radio show or reverse that actually it was a radio show and then became a podcast. Um, but he also did the show with this guy named Carl Pilkington um, called An Idiot Abroad, where he sends this kind of luddite. Oh, like, he's in that. I didn't know he was in backwards. That. Yeah, and there's a series they did where they sent Carl and Warwick Davis around, and it was really really funny. It's on my list of you know my never ending list of things to check out one day. Um, sure. But here's an interesting fact about him. The re- reason I bring him up. Um, do you know he's in almost like every Star Wars movie ever made? Yeah, I, I remember hearing that at some point. The only two Star Wars films, and I mean all of the Star Wars films, that he's not in are A New Hope and uh, Empire. So the first two. He's in Return of the Jedi. He's in... Oh, actually, sorry. There's two those those three middle ones. He's only in Phantom Menace. He's not in the other two of those. But he's in Last Jedi. He's in uh, what the hell's the other one? Force Awakens. He's in Solo. He's in uh, Rogue One. And almost all of them, he's playing a different character. You know what? Screw it. Let's blow everything up today. Um, so, <laughs> out of out of the last, I think it's now. Yep, out of the last seven Star Wars movies, there's only been one good one, and the rest are all garbage. Uh, I wouldn't say Solo was garbage. Solo wasn't garbage, but it definitely wasn't. You know what? I would have liked Solo a lot more if it wasn't if it wasn't sold as a Star Wars movie. Well, here here's a fun game. Rank your Star Wars movies. Empire definitely number one. Um, I'm I'm sorry, not yeah. Uh, you could probably just back, do yeah. the top five, and everybody else can figure out that you hate everything else. Probably yeah. So. M- Empire, I can only do the top three because I literally hate everything else. <laughs> um, Empire's got to be one. Return of the Jedi is two, even though it's got its problems. Um, Rogue One is the Star Wars movie that I always wanted, so that's three. And then New Hope is mediocre. Hans, you know, Solo is mediocre, and everything else is pure garbage. Yeah, I would. I would say I would go Empire first. I would put Rogue One number two, um, and then everything else kind of about the same. Although I would, I would actually rank Last Jedi over force awakens just because i didn't need to watch Ugh. the same movie twice you, re- you know what though the same movie. <laughs> there are so many things wrong with last jedi that i can't forgive it you know for example the the uh, spoiler alert for anyone who's who's in in sport who yeah, we forgot to do that last that, time <laughs> which which by the way i don't know how either if you care enough about the star wars movies i don't know how you haven't seen it by now uh, but just in case you have the intention of seeing it at some point because you're a passing fan Spoiler right now. Stop listening. Um, so the, the stupid, you know, the light speed into the fleet thing. Yeah. I mean, why, why, why the hell isn't... That's so much more powerful of a weapon than anything else in the history of the Star Wars universe. Right. 
and and I don't I just don't get it. I mean, Snoke makes no sense to me. There's so many things are wrong with that movie. You know, what's funny is I don't even remember most of it. Now I'm like, um, I remember the scenes with Han on the island. Remember that mm-hmm. stuff. I remember the. Oh, you mean um, you mean Luke on the island? Yeah, sorry, Luke Han's dead. Oops, spoiler. Oops. <laughs> um. But uh, let's let's go on another tangent here of movies. You know what else I watched this week, don't you? Mm. Think about it. I sent you a picture. Comedian. Oh God, no, 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 no! I don't, dude. I don't. Let's not talk about that. I think again. you need to watch that. There are so many other people that I've spoken to this week about this because I posted that on my social media. Yeah. And so many other people texting me this week, going, "Me too." Fuck those aliens. Well, well you know that uh, first of all. They're not even gray in this movie. Sure. They're pink. Yeah, they're like that. Fleshy. Peaches pink. Yeah, fleshy, yeah. Um, but the reason I say you probably need to watch it is, number one, it's actually... Some of it is really... It's such a complex movie in some ways. It's very pseudo-Lynchian. It's very huh? pseudo-Lynchian. Really? It's... Dude, some of his recollections of being on the quote-unquote on the ship are like uh-huh. fucking acid trips. Like, uh, there's one part where they're da- the aliens are dancing. It's totally David Lynch inspired. That's why I say you need to watch it. And number two, it's not really very frightening because it's kind of boring at a lot of points. <laughs> kind of like some Lynch movie where you're like, this scene is really long. Um and the pacing is really drug. Even my mom and I were, were watching it together, and she's like, she's falling asleep. I'm like, you're going to sleep in the middle of this movie? She's like, it's kind of boring. <laughs> do you feel like, do you, I feel like I forgive Lynch a lot because of his brilliance for, for, for having moments where he's just indulging himself. Well, I think he's, he's inspired by people like Godard and who would make things long just to challenge the audience. Like yeah, literally, just like you have to suffer through this. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I remember actually feeling that way, um, like wanting to shout at David Lynch when I was watching Lost Highway. How about Inland Empire? Holy shit! Jeez, oh, yeah, true, um, true, true. But the thing about it is, too, you have to remember that those guys were making films for people who watched them in theaters. So they, oh, good point. they had a captive audience. Where it was like, <laughs> you have to suffer through this because you're in your seat. Uh, which, which, by the way, it's, if you haven't checked it out, I would check it out. Um, David Lynch's um, analysis of how and why watching movies on your phone is destroying the cinematic experience. I think we've actually posted that on this show before. Let's post it again. I think Fuck it was it. like episode two. I just have to go back to old show notes to find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that makes sense, though. I mean, if you want to challenge an audience, I mean, how do you challenge them if they have an out? You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean... It, a lot of those guys were just trying to break rules. Um, sure. It wasn't even necessarily, they weren't trying to make great films. Like Godard, I don't think ever intended to make a great film. He just really wanted to break everything. Because yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it makes sense. When you look at the cinema that came before Godard, a lot of it was really boring because it was all formula. Sure. So if we didn't have those people do those things, you know, like there's times, um, like what about the last scene in um, Jackie Brown? That's a really long scene. Sure. But it kind of works. It, it's, it's a little uncomfortable because you're just sitting there watching her sing to a song on the radio. 
And I feel like there's there are a lot of moments like that in cinema that we can't have anymore. You know, there's there there are no long pulls or or consistent steady shots. Well, no, that's that's wrong for me to say. Um, there there definitely is that, but I feel like. And I feel like with cinema, it always comes around. Like we have these periods of challenge and then bubble gum and then challenge and then bubble gum. I feel like almost every artistic medium is that way. Um, it goes in waves. Um, we definitely have those moments in music. You know, every once in a while you have a movement and then it goes fully pop for like half a decade, you know. And there's also, there's always these masters that come along that can take these challenging things. Not that, you know, like Lynch isn't his master in his own way, but he's a master of, of disaster in the sense that it, he, he revels in kind of the chaos of it. Um, but then there are people who can take that stuff and then make a movie that's enjoyable to watch while using all of this challenging stuff. Like uh, Kubrick was one of those people, right? Everything he did... To a certain extent. I, I still feel like some of Kubrick's stuff was painful to watch at times. Well, like 2001. I think it's 30 minutes into the movie before anybody says a word. Sure. It's literally almost a silent film. And even throughout the rest of the movie, there's not a lot of dialogue. You know who I think is a better example of that? Um, and people are going to rip on me for saying this because he's a big studio director, but I think Spielberg's amazing at it. Can be, can be. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's got some, he's got some stinkers in there. He but, hasn't done it in a long time know, though. Yeah. Like AI was a mess. I mean, there's a, there's a few bad movies in there, but I'm, I think overall um, his, his, his execution of tropes and challenge together are actually pretty interesting. Like if you think about ET or minority report Jaws. Um, or, or Schindler's list or jaws, I mean, all of those were, were pretty fantastical, but also challenging in their own very unique ways. You oh know? yeah, definitely. And even, I mean, he tries and everything, even in, in ready player one, you can tell he was trying to push some certain things, but the problem, the problem is that when, with a storyline like that, you're not going to get much credit for pushing any boundaries because we're used to seeing movies with lots of special effects and different worlds. And you're not really creating anything we haven't seen before in that way. You're just... Am, am I, am I going to get a lot of hate for the Man, I'm just blowing stuff up today. I really didn't like that movie that much. I fucking loved it. It well, was, there was there was so much there was so much homage and not enough character development in my mind. Like I just it's like okay, I get it. The DeLorean, Han Solo's belt, like all of these. This it was basically a movie full of Easter eggs. Totally, but that's I mean that's the plot. Uh, yeah, I guess that was the point. But I really wanted to to understand the dystopian future that that made the necessity for such a an interesting like the, like the challenge of 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 figuring out the puzzle was so much cooler to me than than trying to see Donkey Kong beat the crap out of his, you know, just, it, it was just too much homage for me. And I feel like it, it, it lost a little bit of its narrative flair because of that. Yeah. I didn't get that feeling. I, I literally, that and Thor Ragnarok are probably two of the funnest movies I've seen. Oh man, Thor Ragnarok. I totally feel that way about Ragnarok. But then, I, but then again, I really, really like Taika Waititi though. Yeah. He's an amazing director. If you oh, yeah. haven't seen what we do in the shadows, you need to see it. That's not my favorite of his though. I prefer boy. Oh, boy's pretty good too. Yeah, what we do in the shadows. I feel like there's. I have a special place in my heart for that movie because I I kind of like vampires. Yeah. <laughs> so so to see vampires live a normal life, um, you know, a lot of my 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 current narrative desires fall along those same lines. Like for example, like how boring the life of a real assassin is. 
<laughs> or you know, how like boring a vampire's it, life would be. How about that? Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine being alive for like 800 years and having seen everything yeah. over and over and over again? Hell, dude, life gets boring after 40 years. Here imagine comes the fascism again. <laughs> oh, yep, here we go. Conservatives are taking over. Okay, the liberals are swinging back. More peace. It's, it's, it's amusing to think, like if they really made a movie about it, like how different would your concept of society and time be if you had lived through 800 years worth of human society? <laughs> right. I think that's why it would be really easy to consume other people because they're just these passing events to you. They don't register on the same scale. I remember having that conversation at some point. I mean, we're flipping through various nerd things, right? Um, but like just thinking about about Spock and how he sees people like, you know, McCoy and Kirk, I mean, you, they, you basically have to treat them like pets, you know, because Vulcans live a long time. So it's like having a Labrador retriever, you know what I mean? Right. Not only that, but, you know, from, from an intellectual standpoint, supposedly Vulcans are smarter than humans in that sense. So it's the intellectual equivalent as well, which is really interesting to me to think about that, <laughs> you know, to think that, that Spock just basically like had this, this pet Captain Kirk for a while and then, you know, oh, sad, Kirk died, but now you replace him with another dog. How about the fact that that golden retriever is your commanding officer? Yeah, it's weirder. That's even weirder. <laughs> Let's do with that. You know what else I've been noticing is, um, because I've been watching that Hawaii Five-0, but then, you know, every once in a while I'll pick up another cop show. You ever notice how cops in cop shows, that like the heroes, if they were in real life, they'd be pieces of shit? Total pieces of garbage, yeah. They're literally no, breaking the law all of the time. All the time. Like they don't follow rules. They're super insubordinate. Yeah, totally. Assaulting suspects, interviewing minors without the permission of their parents. Uh, I mean, think, of, think about how often charges would have been brought up against uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character from 24. Oh, yeah. Uh, interrogating lawyers, a suspect after they asked for a lawyer. Mm-hmm. All these things, you know, like oh, if if that happened now, there'd be outrage. It'd be like this guy is is you know like Dirty Harry never never would happen. Hopefully, you know, like yeah. But think but think about how boring a cop show would be if they always followed protocol. I think it would be great. That's why I always loved Homicide Life on the Street. It's funny, um, our friend Brandon. Oh yeah, that's true because they always followed the rules. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, not always necessarily, but they did go through a lot of procedural stuff. But our mm-hmm. friend Brandon has is he's halfway through season one of NYPD Blue. He'd never seen uh-huh. it before, and I was telling him it's it's probably my second favorite cop show from the '90s. And he said, "Well, what's your number one?" And I said, "Homicide: Life on the Street." And I didn't want to go through like all the explanation we were texting, but like that show talking about breaking boundaries. But it really did what we're talking about. Like I think it's the second or the third episode that they that they filmed, I think they ended up not letting them release it until later. But like one of the the first episodes was two cops, one suspect in an interrogation room for the whole hour. Oh man. Or they'd have scenes where the cops are sitting around doing paperwork. Like, (laughs) like, because if you've talked to any real cop, that's like over 50% of their job. (laughs) Huh. That's, a, yeah, that's definitely part of the job. I mean, what's what's the? I mean, I have a few, you know, police officer friends, and yeah, they any they try to avoid incidents, not just because they want to not shoot people, but because the amount of paperwork that has to go into an incident like that is just monstrous. Right. Well, I had a I had a friend. I don't I don't know if he's still a cop, but I had a friend who was a cop. He's like, 
you know, if you're ever drunk and you don't want to get arrested, you know, you do something, piss yourself. Oh, sure. Because they don't want to take you in the car. <laughs> they don't want to clean up afterwards and they don't want to have to do the paperwork. Oh, that's horrifying. You know, it's a general statement, but I thought that was hilarious. It's like, well, I'm just now, so, I'm, so I'm just going to piss myself if I ever get into a situation like that. Um, which, I, which I hopefully never will. I have yeah. no intention of doing that to any of my cop friends that so don't follow me around. Um, while we're still on the subject of things watching, did you watch any of that Hellier stuff? No, I have not. I'm almost done. I have two more episodes to go. It's trippy. It's trippy. Um, it's... Are you just on a big alien kick right now? No, I mean, it's just, I watched Communion because we talked about it last week and I watched Hellier because I said I was going to watch it. Um, but we'll talk about it when you watch it. We'll leave it at that. Um, other things to catch up on. Uh, have you been journaling, doing the journals? As best I can, yeah. Um, I've modified a few of the questions um, to kind of better fit my current situation. Um, I, I feel like, I feel not to say that I, I focus on less positive, but I definitely focus more on workmanship things. Like I, I have certain benchmarks that I set for myself um, when it comes to the stuff that I'm dealing with. I don't, I don't even know how much I want to say about it. Um, other than I'll say things like, did you reach this financial marker today? Right. You know what I mean? Um, or did you, did you achieve this legal thing today? Right. Uh, and so, and so my list has, has gotten weirdly specific. So you're, you're, you're actually productivity focused. I, I'm, yeah, I, and which, which is weird because I'm normally not. But I feel like if I don't, considering how complicated the situation is, that I'm going to lose my my grasp of it, you know? Well, I think that's, you know, like I joked around last week when I said productivity is bullshit. But there's this, there's, I've been actually stewing on that all week. There's one part of productivity that's important is get the shit out of your head. Yeah, absolutely. And everything else is all who knows. But that part, it's so many people fail at parts of their lives, literally just dropping the ball over and over again because they try to remember stuff and they don't. That's and I will tell you, and I will tell you now that the the best, or I'm, I'm sorry, the most logical function of it for my for my current situation is to purely stave off stress and anxiety. Have you noticed any mental health benefits? Absolutely, absolutely, I have, and and that's the. It's interesting that you say the get it out of your head thing, right? So when you make it tangible and when you put it into um, a list form that 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 makes it so that you can touch and taste and hold it, um, it definitely feels like I let it go. And I know that sounds strange, but um, it 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 it, ha- it has a far less pronounced grasp on me now that I've written it out. I think there's a there's a power to. Um, for certain things, there's a, I don't I don't know a better word for this, but there's like a power to shame, in the sense that, it, like I talked about before, like if I have to write that this game is wasting my time and giving me little value, like four days in a row, I start getting embarrassed of myself, and I delete the game. Yeah, uh, sure. So like, there's a certain uh, it's, it's that same thing like you're saying, piling up and and making it tangible. Well, when it starts piling up a couple days, it becomes tangible in a way that. If we repeat something in our head over and over again, it never becomes more tangible um, because we do that all the time. That's how we remember things. We continue to repeat them in our head. Sure. Um, what else but have I, you noticed? I've, I've also noticed that... Um, how do I even define this? So I've been getting headaches lately and they've been like debilitating headaches. And I, I, I get the sense that 
you know, I've never, I've never been one for believing in, in, in the, the, the power of psychosomatic effects. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do, but I didn't really quite understand how pronounced of an effect they could have until I got into a situation that was extreme enough that I could experience it that way. And the, the physical effect that the anxiety and stress has had on me has been greatly alleviated by that as well. And it, and it comes down to, to very strangely um, simple things. Like, for example, how much food I can actually eat. You know, the, 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 there's almost a direct correlation to how much I put down on the list and how, much, and how comfortable I feel with eating more food. Right. That, that, the question seemed like the weird one, but it makes sense the more you do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> it's this, this food thing ties in. You know, like I notice on days when I'm more stressed out, I might eat more or sometimes I eat less and it's a different I kind less, of stress. Yeah. I have a tendency to be extremely calorie deficient on days where I'm stressed out. Yeah. Or where you're flustered. Whenever you feel flustered, you eat less because you, you somehow convince yourself you don't have time to eat. Yeah, the body is so weird. What's the and mind? The mind and actually, the mind and how, how, how it affects the body is so strange. Yeah. That's the better statement. Yeah, because and I think that's why that question is important because it, it makes you connect to your body, right? Um, yeah. And instead of staying, you know, like without getting like a woo-woo or anything, the some of the stuff in there is more about your spirit, your being, you know, your mental health, how you feel about yourself. And some of it is about how you think and what your mind does, you know, like remembering what you learned. That's about connecting with your mind. But there's really only a couple places in there where you can connect to the body. But you have to do that too because they're all tied together because they're all contained in the same person. Of course, it's they're so tied critical. together. I honestly, that's probably been the most effective part of all of this for me. I, it, and I know that it's situational. Like my situation is pretty specific. So how it affects my body is something I'm very, very aware of. Um, but I have a feeling that that you, when you do it, you realize how much of a one-to-one relationship there is between how your mind is and how your body is. It's weird, right? It is very weird. How about you? I, I assume you're keeping up with it as well. Have you noticed any kind of, of tangible benefit as well? Uh, yeah, I definitely have. But I've, I'm also in the stage of rebellion right now. Where, where <laughs> I, like I, you know, I said before, I do it at 10 and then I put it off till 10.30. I love how, 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 how much you cannot fight your nature when it comes to how rebellious you are. It's You've so rebelled hard. against yourself almost constantly. It's so hard. <laughs> Uh, but it, once I sit down and I do it, there's always at least one thing where I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's something, you know, as long as I walk away every day with one thing, I'm happy. But I think the, there are times when <laughs> I'm Rolodexing through my day and I'm going, what did I learn today? And I really, sometimes I have to, I really have to pay attention because you know, like I, I think I mentioned in the last episode, we learn little things here and there that we never recognize that or something we learned. And I have trouble remembering those. So I'll sit there and I'm like, what did I learn? What did I learn? And and sometimes I like that question will stump me for like five minutes. Uh, it might, I'll space out too. You know, it's not like I'm literally hard thinking on that. I'll start thinking about that and then my mind will just drift. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing this thing right now. I should probably come back to this. Space cadet. What do you think? Hmm. 
So in those moments, though, like when you have to struggle to, to figure out what it is that you learned, is it because you're trying to figure out something that seems monumental or consequential versus just something stupid like um, if you walk a certain way past a certain place, then you feel the wind on your face? Yeah, it's probably I'm looking for something that's like very concrete. Um, uh, um, and I, I think also it's probably because I wasn't very present during the day. So oh, sure. I don't even remember learning some things. So they've literally, I didn't really learn them, did I? I just used them. <laughs> if you don't remember it, it's not learning. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, that's that's why like looking up things on Google all the time is not doing anything for your brain because you're not learning it. You're just re- you're, you're pulling it up and you're using it. But then once it's done, it, it leaves your brain. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still feel a strong push against that when it comes to my own rebellious side, right? Like I, the 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 weird thing is, I did horribly in school, um, but it, but in the strangest way. Like I I tested very well, um, but I I was terrible at, at getting homework in on time. Me um, too. And I feel like a lot of it was because I was incredibly frustrated with the process of doing homework. Um, because I I wanted to learn things, I wanted to remember things. So I you know instead of just reading a certain chapter. Um, for a test, I would read the chapter and then I would look for other books that, you know, um, related to that particular subject because I was interested in it, you know, so I would know a whole bunch about the Roman Empire, but I would have a hard time sitting there and doing a worksheet on the Roman Empire because I was busy reading about the Roman Empire. (laughs) Yeah, I I was exactly the same way. No, I would, that's the questioner in me. It's like homework. Why? Like, why why do I need to do this? Exactly. Yep. Or I, I was notorious in college for not reading the book that I was supposed to read during the, the period, the semester that I was taking the <laughs> class, but then reading it like voraciously the next semester. Yep, same here. I did the exact same thing. Like, a, you know, semester later, I'm reading Plato and people are like, oh, that last semester? I'm like, yeah, I'm just checking it out. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Three years later, I'm finally reading Lord of the Flies. I feel like I feel like I consumed that stuff in the time when I felt ready to consume it. I, th- I think you that's what it saying, is too. If you, if you look at something like Lord of the Flies, I mean, there's there's a lot of social allegory in there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I mean, what the hell do you understand of that at twelve? Yeah, it's it's a shame that a lot of these books are wasted on the wrong age groups. You know, like um, I don't even know if they teach it anymore. But Huckleberry Finn, there's no way that they understood the social impact of what that book is. I know I didn't. Sure. Or Catcher in the Rye at 16. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, I mean, I doubt they even treat Huckleberry Finn anymore because they're terrified to having to read the, the N-word in class. Um, which, I, I, you know what baffles me? I've been thinking about this, actually, this erasing history thing. What baffles me is you have people that just, they're triggered by words, which first, you already know, I, I fucking hate the word triggered. But... yeah. They're triggered by words, but they don't really pay attention to what the words are attached to. You know, like, um, for example, Huckleberry Finn. Yes, the character's name is N-Word Jim. You can fill in that word for yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is that book is one of the greatest treatises against racism ever written. Yep, agreed. And the reason that he named that character, I'm, I'm, I'm supposing here, the reason he named that character that was to continually remind you of the world in which the story was taking place. 
because the story was opposed to that world. The story was about seeing this person as a human being. The name showed that the world didn't see him as a human being. And if you take that word out of that story, you take the meaning out of that story. And And I don't get that. And I feel like that's a lot of what I, I miss from artwork now. And I feel like it's, it's probably just because I'm not looking hard enough. Um, but I, I feel like there is so much more challenge in art at some point. And I feel like a lot of that challenge came because people weren't afraid to question convention um, and people weren't afraid to offend. You know what I mean? Well, I think um, people weren't afraid to question convention um, I, th- I think they were. I, th- I think they deserve more credit for being brave, um, because sure. I do think that certain, you know, like um, making a film with with a homosexual character pre like nineteen seventy was a huge deal. Oh sure, yeah. Um, writing sympathetic black characters before nineteen sixty was probably a huge. I mean, there's the credit deserves to be given there, but at the same time, um, it's because there was a clear delineation of what you're standing against, I think. And the problem we have right now is because of the internet and um, it's nothing you can do, but we have access to a myriad of opinions and ideas, which in its own way is beautiful and amazing, but it also takes away that black and white clear line to where, you know, you can look at, for example, um, like what's going on with the Democratic Party right now. You've got so many different people that want to run against Trump. And then you got Schultz saying, you know, I'm going to run independent. And because I want to do this differently than the DNC did things. And you've got people in the Democratic Party that are ready to jump on with him. And then you got other people that want to boycott Starbucks because he's going to get Trump reelected by stealing votes. And there is no clear line anymore. It's just like a frag grenade everywhere. So it's it's hard to defy conventions when what, what what's conventional anymore? That's so exhausting. <laughs> Literally, I, it's it's it blows my mind to just think about it. Yeah, and 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 for people like you and I, I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. Can you imagine how overwhelming this is for someone who doesn't have that kind of time? Like, if you had if you had two kids and a dog and a mortgage and a 40-hour-a-week job, and you're busting your ass at all of these things and trying to survive, how could you possibly have the time to separate the nuances of all of this crap? Right. And nuance is so, nuance is so important, but it's so difficult for people. So difficult. Well, nu- nuance is really important when the nuance isn't manufactured by someone who, who is literally... There, there's there's real nuance and there's artificial nuance, and I feel like a lot of the time there's an elitist, almost almost arrogant uh, assumption about nuance that certain people make in order to make themselves feel like they're better people. <laughs> Claire, um, stretch that out a little bit more. I want to understand what you're saying there. I'm not getting fully. Like for example, um, people who get offended about certain specific things like things like microaggressions or triggers, for example, right? There's there's a very specific sense of of value that people put on that. Like, I need to be offended by this, so I'm going to create more specificity in order to make it so that my area of non-offense is very, very narrow, and that makes me a more enlightened person. Right. So they're basically, they're, they're, you're saying they're confusing nuance with specificity. Absolutely. And they're, then those are two very different things. In my mind, um, 
specificity, like manufactured specificity is much, much more detrimental than any nuance could ever be. I think nuance is important and, and manufactured specificity is such an egotistical, um, narrow-minded way to look at the world. Well, I think the thing that about nuance is the most important word in a definition of nuance is subtle. Um, sure. You know, like the, the difference between one voter and another voter that are of the same party, it might be a subtle distinction that this person... Um, you know, believes in universal health care. This other person doesn't trust the government enough to let them run it. That's a subtle distinction until it becomes a national issue. Now sure. it's a huge, now they're in separate parties and they're, you know, like, but before then, before that was even a possibility of there being universal health care, it was a nuance. It was subtle. It didn't come up very often. Uh, and 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 the the the, the drawing of such clear delineations um, makes it so that it's really difficult for us to fight our way through those nuances and find a better solution. Now it's all about you either agree with me or you're wrong. Well, there's like politics don't have nuance anymore. It's about yeah, it's, it's horrible. who's louder and who's stronger. And that's, that's the huge, I feel like that's such a big part of the problem is our inability to, 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 to be objective through nuance and to understand how nuance is important. That's why I always talk about centrism. Because if you, if you re- retain the center, if you retain politics into the center, then you're dealing with nuances. Because then you can see, you know, like this, this a socially liberal uh, Republican and this um, fiscally conservative Democrat. The nuance between the two of them is, like I said, subtle. They might kind of think the same things. So you can get a candidate... Who, who would both of those people would vote for? But when you sure. go to the when you go to the extremes, there is no nuance anymore because it's how far can you go to this side and how far can you go to this side, and then you hope that the water parts and people split in the middle, and 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 you try to magnetize them to the fringe, and it's it's that's why, you know, that's why things are the way they are is because we're, we're literally parting the waters instead of trying to pool. Ugh. But that, but that is so far from what is actually happening right now. <laughs> uh, that's why I mean I haven't heard a lot, but I've seen a little bit of, of things that Howard Schultz has said, and I like what he's saying about the idea. I don't care where good ideas come from; if they're a good idea, they're a good idea. I like I somebody that's yeah, willing to stand in the yeah. middle, and I hate the fact that people want to boycott him for that. That's not American. Yeah, or people who I, I mean. God, I feel like we're we're gonna either gain a lot of listeners or lose lose a lot of listeners in this episode. Yeah, if um, wimpy, then they can go. Yeah, exactly, totally. Uh, but you know, just the people who. So I, I so I like Sam Harris a lot, and the number of people who have been offended by me even saying that is shocking. I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm shocked at that. You know, like I I can't even believe that that's that, that that's enough to offend somebody. <laughs> and speaking <laughs> you know, of nuance, that, like, that guy's all nuance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, oh my god, I love his podcast. You're you're so right though. I mean, his his it's all about nuance, and I'm 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 I don't know what to do with that personally. Like, I mean, I I, I try as best I can to be a fairly diplomatic human being, but you know, just trying to 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 resist the urge to 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 freak out and say, why? Why does that make you mad? Why does it offend you so much that I find a lot of sense in a really in- intelligent guy who I'm, I don't even agree with 100% of the time, but 
I appreciate his ability to recognize, talk about, and distill nuance into its various pieces so that a person who's paying attention can actually understand it. I think we try to put everybody right now, we're trying to put everybody, um, we're trying to put them into the mold of politicians. Yeah. He's not a politician. people in boxes, man. Totally. He's, he's a philosopher. Yep. His, his, I mean, the, the whole point of that podcast is to stimulate thought. You know, like we say that we try to do that here. And in some way, you know, like maybe we get like one, one millimeter of what that guy gets in feet and yards. But mm-hmm. he's willing to have discussions with people he vehemently disagrees with. And not only that, the thing that I give him credit for is two things. Number one, he doesn't avoid the stuff they, they disagree on. In fact, he steers into it. And yeah, he, steers, he dives right in. And, and not as a way of attacking them. He steers into that into them to make them almost attack him so that he can see if his argument is actually strong or if it's weak. And then when he's wrong, he admits it. And that, yeah, some of the some of some of the best conversations I've heard on that podcast start with, Well, I'm not sure if this makes any sense to me, but and then a string of conclusions that he's made based on that person's, you know, especially people he disagrees with. And, and then the, the marvelous conversation that happens for the next 20 minutes. And the, the thing, too, is he, he knows <laughs> what people think of him, right? You know, like the, we've, we've talked before about the Ben Affleck thing. He knows that people think he's a racist, but he's not. And you have to listen to... I, 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 when I wasn't like the first three episodes, I started from the beginning. I kind of thought he was, too. Um, but after like 10, 12 episodes, you realize you're like, no, he's talking about ideology here. He's not talking about people at all. Yep, totally, totally. And that's a nuance that's hard to understand. And I think that, that that's, um, you see a lot of that. You know, like Joe Rogan gets called uh, alt-right adjacent all the time. The guy is pretty fucking liberal. And they, that's call, insane. And they call him alt-right adjacent. He's so liberal that he's, he's willing to have conservatives on his show because he's so into free speech. And uh, it pisses people off that those people, he quote unquote, gives those people a platform. Well, I hate to tell you, fuck you, because those people already have a platform. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on Joe Rogan. I mean, it's so hard <laughs> for me to it's it's so hard for me to get past it, right? Because I mean, I work in a fairly political, uh, liberal environment, and and the number of people who who I have to to basically scream at on a daily basis and say, just because a person isn't your kind of liberal doesn't make them not liberal enough. Right, and they how just don't that? happen to be your kind of liberal. <laughs> I hate to tell those people, but um, by the way, that's fascism. Yeah, that is fascism. It's just fascism in a different direction. Believing that only, fucking- there's only one idea and everybody has to conform to that idea or conform to the mm-hmm. state is fascism. Yep. It's same damn thing. It's same damn thing, different ideology. That's basically it. I'm sure at some point somebody will call them, if, if we get enough listeners, somebody will call me alt-right adjacent. Guess what? I'm not... <laughs> yep. I'm one of the most liberal motherfuckers on the face of this planet. But what I will say wholeheartedly is that I'm, there are times where, where I'm, a, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say that I'm liberal just because of what liberals have become. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm liberal-minded, but I'm, I'm not a supporter of socialism. I'll say that. I don't think, sure. it, I don't think it fucking works. <laughs> and I don't have a problem saying that. Because the reason is because I'm so liberal, I don't trust the government to be in charge of very much at all. I don't trust the government. They, yeah, they and fuck I mean, shit even, up and they're crooked. 
and, and to and to say something like that, I mean, even even in my situation, right? Like I have these conversations with political people all day. You know, universal healthcare, for example. Universal healthcare is a fantastic idea if the healthcare system itself wasn't the most horribly corrupt and incredibly mismanaged institution on the face of planet Earth. Oh yeah, trust me, I've had experiences with that in the last week. Yeah, um, you know. But I'll tell you that this is this is the thing: as I want everybody to have healthcare. I just don't want the government in charge of it. You know what I want? Yo, totally. I want exactly. a bunch of rich people who have good hearts to create a foundation and put money into that. And 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 that they have the option to do that. You know, it's not taken from everybody. But these people, they go, you know, like a, a Bill Gates who's probably more than willing to do something like this. Because as loaded as that guy is, that guy has probably done more good for the planet than almost any other human being with that money. Sure. Take people like that or people... Um, I can't think of other people right now. It doesn't really matter. You take people like that and they put a fund and then that money is for people who can't afford healthcare. And guess what? Now we have a way to do that without the government being in charge of it. Because... Yeah, but the, the argument though is then how, how, do you, how do you ensure that a person like that has the greater good in mind? You know what I mean? Why do you have to, why do you have to ensure that? All they're doing is putting forth money. That's it. Yeah, They're not yeah, providing the healthcare and nor should they. There should be no conflict of interest. All they do is create the fund. That's it. They are a bank. So it doesn't matter what their, what their motivations are because they're not in charge of anything. My biggest argument is just that the healthcare industry itself is such a gigantic mess. Oh, yeah. You know, you know like a, a, a single bottle of ibuprofen shouldn't cost the healthcare system $400. The reason why it does is because it's a corrupt, mismanaged quagmire of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, well, check this out. So I went in to get the sleep study thing. They give you like this, uh, you put it on your finger and on your wrist, and then there's a diode that goes on your chest, checks you for, for the night to see if you're snoring, see if you have apnea, all those things. So I go to pick it up and I go, okay, there's a copayment. Okay, seventy dollars copayment. Okay, by the way, I pay. Uh, this is a lot of detail, but I pay almost five hundred dollars a month in insurance. Um, I'm self-employed, so I have to pay the whole thing myself. Seventy dollars copayment on top of that. Okay, I go in. They go, "Here's your device. Here's how you use it." Four minutes later, I left. Seventy dollars. Then I have to go back the next the next week, and then they give me this CPAP machine. It's on a loan. They want me to try it out. Blah blah blah. Oh, by the way, another $70 copayment. Ugh. Then they go, oh, okay, um, so in front of you is your report of how many times you wake up every hour, blah, blah, blah. And at the top, you'll see a number, and that tells you how much uh, a percentage of a CPAP machine your insurance covers. Mine doesn't have a number. Mine has a big red, no. Jeez. So I go downstairs, and I'm like, I pay almost $500 a month, and you guys can't cover me for a CPAP? You know, like this, if, if what I was told upstairs is correct, that this machine, using this machine, prevents me from having high blood pressure, diabetes, heart attack, and stroke. That's preventative medicine. You would think that would save you a lot of money in the end. But if I get diabetes, you guys have to cover me for diabetes medicine. If I have a stroke, you have to cover part of my uh, emergency room visit. If I have a heart attack, you have to cover part of my emergency room visit. If I have high blood pressure, you have to pay for the majority of my medicine for high blood pressure. So you think you would probably just want to give me this machine. Sorry, that's just not in the terms of your, of your uh, plan. God. That's corruption right there. 
because it doesn't make the reason I say it's corruption is this it doesn't make sound business sense. If I was in charge of healthcare and I said, let's see, this machine's $800 and it's going to prevent these four other things that we'll probably have to, if he gets any of these things, we'll probably have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars in the long run. So how about in the short run, we give him this $800 machine. That's smart business. And that's why I don't trust the government to be in charge of shit because that's how the government thinks. Sure. They don't think about that shit. And, and the other thing about this, I don't want to harp on this too long. I've been just been thinking about this and you just happen to push a button of something I've been thinking about. When you have a problem with your health insurance, I mean with your healthcare, right? Say you have Kaiser or Cigna, one of these companies. You have a problem. Who do you go to? First, you try to go to the company and you have it fixed, right? Things don't work out. Say they say, fuck you, you know, whatever. Now you can go to the legal system and you go to the legal system. If things, you know, like you you keep moving up to the next court, the next court, right? So eventually you involve the government in this and the government can step in and say, whoa, you guys, you know, conflict of interest or, you know, you guys are breaking the law with this guy. But if the government's in charge of it, who do you go to? There's sure. nobody to step in for you because you're already at the top of the thing. You've got nobody to step in for you. I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable because I know what it's like to get fucked. Well, not only that, but I mean, from that perspective, if, you're, if, you're, if you have to contest something like this in the first place, that means you had a health problem of some kind. Right. You know, so first of all, you're under the crippling debt of that to begin with. And now you have to deal with the, the horror of... of, of somehow managing your way through the fighting process of something like this. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just such a, a I mean, we could literally go on, have an entire podcast and 10 episodes specifically about this particular subject. Right. Because this is something that I actually study pretty intensively on my side too as well. And, and just the, the, the complicated and incredibly skewed in one direction nature of healthcare makes it so that it, the entire system's always against you. And I don't blame doctors. I don't blame specific clinicians or workers or anything like that. The system itself is set up to game you and to set up to 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 beat you at every turn. Right. If I mean, take it even just beyond healthcare. If you want to empower the government to have the most effect on its citizens, you take it out of being in charge of shit, because then they can play the role of advocate. Sure. And as the role of advocate when they have that strength that they can wield against a corporation that's fucking you over or your family over, that's where, that's where their value is. Not in running things. They were never intended to do that because they suck at it. That's not, you know, they're, they're politicians. They're not supposed to do this. That's not what they're trained for. And you want these companies competing to, to get cheaper. You know, the more healthcare providers you have, then the things are cheaper, right? Because it's like uh, the iPhones were great. But once we got the Android, the iPhone got better because they're like, fuck. <laughs> and, well, yeah, because you, you have a competitive market. I mean, what, if, what is one of the things that we define in our society as being a really, a really good thing for business, right? To destroy monopolies because c- competition breeds progress and right. lower prices and so on and so forth. So, so we've created one of the biggest monopolies in the history of, human, in the history of mankind in, in the healthcare industry in the U.S. And it breeds absolutely zero competition. 
Right. You don't want the government to be administrators. You want the government to be a cudgel. You want them to be the sure. weapon that you wield when you need it. Sure. Because that's that's that would give citizens the most freedom. Not the enemy you fight. <laughs> right. And that's why the government's become corrupt is because it's so tangled in all this stuff, which means that money plays into the government. But when you take all of those things away from the government, the money goes with it. And then what, who do you have running for office then? The people who care. Because sure. they're, they're not going to get rich from lobbyists and all this stuff because guess what? They're not in charge of that shit anymore. Oh, man. It, it, it goes back to something I said very early on during prior to Trump turning into the gigantic clusterfuck that he is as a, as a, of a, as a president, right? I said to almost everyone who, you know, because I wanted him to do a good job. And then, and I didn't vote for him and I, I was wholeheartedly against him the entire way, but I'm an American. So I rooted for our president. I wanted him to do a good job. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I, I told all of my friends, liberal or conservative otherwise, um, I said that if the only thing he does in his entire presidency is removing money from politics, he will have been one of the best presidents in the history of the country. Right. And we could still hate him. And we can still hate him. But he, of course he didn't do that. And he ended up being one of the worst presidents in, in the history of, of, of the country. But, you know, that, that's the, the, the one-in-one relationship between politics and, 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 and finance is so inherently dangerous to the running of a government. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, we, we, we single-handedly create these monolithic monopolies that are nearly indestructible because they're interwoven into the political machinery itself. Right. And the thing about it too, you know, it's like we, we only project this money thing onto the people that we disagree with, right? So we, we, people are more than, liberal people are more than willing to put it on Trump. But at the same time, Nancy Pelosi is fucking loaded. Oh, sure. So are the Clintons. Yes. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having money. But what I'm saying is a lot of these people are in positions to make changes of things and there's money involved. And that's a stew for things to get fucked. That's a recipe for a stew of shit. And I don't like shit stew. Oh my God. I, I feel like that's such a, I don't even want to say the social media stuff because I want to end on that line for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like shit. Dude. That's amazing. <laughs> Going back to food, you know, we've got to bring it back full circle. Oh, we did. And we, and we were talking about shit in the beginning of the show too. So yeah. we brought it back to shit and food all at the same time. Ladies and gentlemen, we have finally achieved Nirvana. Uh, what shits do. Yeah. Um, actually, you said social media. I'm gonna uh, let's let's have a little. I have a little thing before we say our social media things. I'm totally. Uh, I'm so tempted to just nuke all social media right now. I'm uh, so done um, with it, dude. It, you and me both. I feel like I have that feeling every day these days. You want to really, really feel it? Read the book that I'm reading right now. So you've been publicly shamed by John Ronson. Huh. Okay. It, it'll make you just disgusted with just, <laughs> it, you know, like uh, since, you know, like the last uh, whatever I just said right now made me sound like a Republican or a Libertarian. <laughs> I'll give you the opposite end of it. <laughs> this is this is where um, call out the, the liberal end of call out culture is just this cruel. Actually, Lord of the Rings, I, I mean, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Flies. In my other podcast, I referenced this 
when talking about the book. I feel like this call-out culture is Lord of the Flies. You know, the, the, sure. there's this, um, this beast that they're imagining and they're all in a frenzy dancing around a fucking pig's head and then poor little Simon comes out and says, or you know, steps on a stick or says the wrong thing and they beat him to death. That's call-out culture. And, oh, man. <laughs> and this book, this book ha- uh, happened to exist before that. I'm a, I've only... I think I'm like 30% of the way through it. But the two examples he uses so far, and like he, he meets up with these people. He's, John Ronson is he's a wonderful, wonderful journalist because he's so humane. Like He's talking to these people and he's actually giving them the benefit of the doubt in every way possible. Um, you know, This isn't a book about gotchas. He's actually finding these people and he's like, what happened? He's kind of fucked up. It's not cool. Um, first person he does is Jonah Lehrer, L-E-H-R-E-R. You know who that is? I do not. He wrote uh, Proust as a neuroscientist. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I have that book. Interesting. It, okay. The last, well, not the last book, but one of the last books he wrote was Imagine. And then he got fucking um, busted for, uh, I think he was working for the New York Times. I can't remember who he's working for. It doesn't really matter. As a journalist, he had plagiarized some of his own articles. Like, which sounds weird, but you know, like when you publish for one publication and then years later you pull quotes from your own thing, that's kind of not good. You're not supposed to do that. So he got in a little bit of trouble for that, but then it kind of blew over. But then that book, Imagine, just some, this one guy was like going through it and he's like, when did Bob Dylan ever say that? And it found out that there was like six quotes in the book that the guy had completely fabricated. He just oh, shit. completely made up quotes or smashed two together or took one and changed a word. Um, and so the guy contacted him about it and he lied to him. So then it just, like, the guy ended up writing this article and he just, like, he lost his world. Like, and granted, he fucked up, he lied. Everything he did was totally wrong. But then, like, I don't know, like a year later or whatever, he gets, uh, it must have been more than a year, a couple of years later, he gets invited to, it was a Knight Foundation thing in Florida. And he gets invited to speak and he's going to get paid for it even. Um, and the dude hasn't worked since then, you know, because he's a writer and a journalist and he just lost credibility in both of those. So he hasn't worked at all. So, you know, they're like, well, we'll give you $20,000 to come give a speech. And he's like, fuck yeah. So he decides he's going to write this speech and he's going to apologize for plagiarizing and he's going to write a speech about plagiarism. Now here's what's so fucked up. He gets up there and while he's doing this, he has to look at a live Twitter feed of his speech while he's giving it. Oh jeez. With people just shitting on him, literally just shitting on him. Fuck this guy, you know like like I don't believe him, he's a fucking liar. All the and I'm wow. And I'm like now that's the point where we step from okay, what 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 he what happened to him? He deserved he fucked up. Now we're stepping into just punishing someone to be cruel. To just Jeez. beat them because, you know, it's like hitting somebody when they're down just because you want to. And then it just gets worse from that. Everything, everything he releases, everybody just tries to shit on it. Still, probably to this day. I'm actually going to try to have him on my other podcast. Um, and then there's the girl. I can't remember her name, but you'll, I'm sure you'll remember this. The, the girl who made the tweet about AIDS in Africa. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember this. It was something along the lines. Um, so 
I won't I won't tell the backstory until after I tell the tweet, but she said something along the lines, um, about to get on a flight to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Um and before she landed on the plane in Africa, by the way, she had only 170 Twitter followers. Um by the time she landed, this thing had was across the world. Everybody had seen it to the point where people were tweeting things, can't wait till that bitch gets off the plane and finds out she's fired. Like people were planning on this thing before the girl even knew what was going on. So yeah, if you read it the wrong way, it sounds like a totally racist tweet. If you actually look at this girl's Twitter feed, she was she had a propensity for making these kind of like mildly tasteless jokes because she thought she was being kind of funny. Um, and she had like 170 followers. So she's making these little like joke tweets to her friends. And knowing that, and now look at that tweet, like, oh, this is actually a joke about racism. You know, like sure. she, what she's actually saying is in, a, in a, her own way, she's saying it sucks that only poor black people get AIDS. That's the only way that joke works, right? Yep, totally. This girl's life is destroyed because the whole world decided we're going to destroy her. I mean, that's a tough one though because I I get the point and I get the satire in it. But I mean, out of context and without knowing her, it just sounds horrible. But But at the same time, that's part of what we're talking about. Freedom of speech, right? That's that's one hundred percent her right to do that. Yeah, sure. And how many? You know, like if she was a stand-up comedian, it wouldn't. It probably wouldn't have been a problem. And then you, you know, you got people like fucking Kathy Griffin, who I just want to fucking slap in the face because after all the shit that she went through with the, you know, the Trump head thing, uh-huh. and all the shit she got doxxed, all this stuff, and then that whole Covington thing shit, and she wanted to telling people on Twitter to to dox that kid. To dox a 16-year-old kid after everything Jeez. she went through. Fuck you. Yeah, seriously. That's pretty horrible. You have no redeemable qualities as a human being anymore. I'm glad you lost your career. Mm. And I was supportive of her freedom of speech before that. But now, fuck her. That's such bullshit. I'm so tired of social media because, you know what? It just brings out the beast in all of us. Yeah, it, it the the anonymity and the safety of it makes turns us into absolute monsters. And I mean, I'm going to say that I'm I'm not I'm not completely um, immune from that either. You know, I've had my moments of 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 brave anonymity on social media as well. Um, even though I try not to to do that as much as I can, I, I've definitely had a moment or two of that as well. You know, where I'm I'm willing to call someone out on social media where I wouldn't have called them out otherwise. None of us are immune. That's the problem. Sure. None of us are better than this. We all get sucked into it because it feeds on an innate thing in human beings, tribalism. Sure. And it just feeds us. And that's why I don't want anything to fucking do with it because I'm like, I well, can't control it. Not only that, but the deeper you get into social media, the more tribalistic you become. It's just awful. And, and like, if you really step back and just look at these things and you go, these, we're just being cruel. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter what that woman said. It doesn't matter what Jonah Lehrer did. It doesn't matter what Roseanne Barr did. It doesn't even matter what Donald Trump does. The way we talk to each other is cruel. Sure. And that, it's not acceptable. We, Elvis Presley had a quote. He said, human nature is the watermark by which we're supposed to rise above. It's not what we're aiming for. We're supposed sure. to rise above it. We're supposed to be better than this. 
and this isn't an American thing. This is a human thing because I'm sure it happens all across the world. So yeah, and I'm sure while the social media has given us the tools to remain entrenched in who we are and what we are now versus who we could be or what we should become. Right. So with that, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to plug the social media accounts anymore. (laughs) You guys want to check out something, go to the website, become a member, be involved in that way. Go to the uh, Chad's journal page and there's a button that says, email me. Uh, Get the emails. I'm, I'm changing up the email thing. You know, you get the journals, uh, my typewritten journals, I don't do them every day anymore, but you get those sent to you, you get the episodes sent to you. And then on, on Wednesdays, I'm doing a collection of links of all the interesting stuff and like a couple sentences of why they're interesting. I would much rather just send you 15 links for the week than post there. It's still, I'll push this stuff out, but I don't want anything to do with it. And I don't really care if you follow me on those things or you follow us on those things. <laughs> Email is, is more personal. It makes more sense. You, you follow the emails until... And, and then one day you go, I don't want this anymore. And you go, unsubscribe, done. Simple relationship. So I would rather you guys did that. Become members. Um, I'm putting up some stuff. I'm going to put up um, my solo podcast, uh, the old solo podcast, what I want to talk about. A lot of people wanted access to that. So I'm going to put that in the member oh, yeah. area. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, I missed that, dude. And then... uh Maybe I'll put up some of those technical rambling episodes that you and I did for a while um, in there. And then uh, you and I are going to make some stuff. I would rather build a community there. It's a more, it's a more genuine community. Screw all this. Hey, by, the, by, by, the, by the way, are you actually going to start doing your solo podcast again? No, I don't think so. I think I'd much rather write. Got it. I've got enough podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I've got enough going on. Um, yeah, I would much rather write because I feel like, um, you know, I can do some blogs here and there. And then um, what I really want to do is I want to work towards some books and put some books out and, and do that. Go back to who I am and you know, dump all of this other bullshit. We got, it's almost like we got sidetracked, you know, like humanity took a hard left. Yeah. And you know, like, or, or like, if you want to go back to uh, ready player one, like we're all waking up from the game. Like, oh, this game sucks. <laughs> yeah, but we're also entrenched in it. And that's part of the problem, right? Like, regardless of how much the game sucks, we've all been playing for so long that we don't want to lose our, our special gear and our cool little trinkets that we've acquired along the way. Yeah, what do they call it? Zeroing out? Yeah, yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to zero out. And I guess that's kind of defined social media for me now, too, is that I've invested so much time in it that that leaving the, i feel like that's part of the only reason why i don't leave is because i've i have you know groups that i interact with uh, you know these relationships that i've built and maintained over social media that that require that cultivation and maintenance but every day it feels less and less worth it right well i mean like i'm not deleting the accounts i'm just and i'm not going to stop posting them i'm just pushing it out from a third party thing i'm not dipping in sure. i'm going to keep yeah, my toes out of the pool yeah, yeah, yeah. That because, makes sense. You know, like there's people out there that st- nobody has to believe what I believe. Um, there are people out there that still enjoy those things and they still like getting things in those avenues. And who am I to say, you know, to hell with you guys because you don't believe what I believe? That would be antithetical to everything I've said for the last hour. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, I just don't want to be involved in it myself. Um, so, like, I, you can follow those things. I just don't care if you do. It's, 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 if you care to, it's there for you, but I sure. don't care. 
and I'm not going to plug it anymore. Mm, okay. But then I will, I will, I will follow suit because I, I feel like I've needed to borrow the will of somebody to do it anyway. So I feel like this is kind of cutting the cord from me. So screw it, I won't do it either. Um, holy, holyfoolproductions.com and thevacantroom.com. Those are the websites. And that's it. That's if you cool. like us, find us there. And if you want to, you can comment as much as you want on anything that I write there. And I would love to have an actual conversation. That would actually be really weirdly refreshing. And actually, if if you really enjoy these things, how about instead of going somewhere else, you just tell people about this and help this show spread. And and I don't know. We're going to come back every week regardless because we like doing it. And we're going to make content. So if you dig it, introduce it to other people because that's that's a big compliment. And that's not just sharing us or this podcast or anything like, like that too. But you know, if, if any of your friends are doing anything cool in this world, share what they're doing with other people. I feel like not enough of that's done anymore. It it it, it panics me that that so much good is is not realized or or rewarded. Yeah, and you know, if you're going to do something like that, like really do it. I, I've I've been very guilty of this before, but we we think that like retweet or something like that is like doing it. That's not doing it. Like make a whole fucking post telling people what the person's doing and why you like it. Like really sell people on it because if you enjoy it. Tell people you actually enjoy it. Like let's, let's let's maybe that can be our assignment for the week for all of us. Let's all be more passionate. Oh yeah, that's a good one. All right, bye, childrens. Bye.